I think the worst time to start a new school is going into your eighth grade year. Uh, middle schoolers are tough enough. You know, they're the most insecure people on the planet, and that makes them the meanest people on the planet. But at least, you know, when you're in eighth grade, the, most people, they spend at least two years together, so they know each other kind of well. They know how to how, who to hang out with, who not to. But going into eighth grade, you have no idea of those things. But that is where I found myself going into a new school, my eighth grade year. And not only was it a new school, it was a small private school that only had one eighth grade class. And this private school ran kindergarten through 12th grade. So the majority of students in this class knew each other five years or more. So I'm really coming in here at a bad time personally and, and socially did not do well. Uh, so everywhere else that I went and everyone else that I came in contact with, I made it my mission to gain their acceptance. I don't know if you've ever met somebody like this, uh, but uh, you, you kind of leave when, when you interact with someone like that and, and you leave from them. You, you think in your mind, yeah, that person's desperate. They probably don't have a lot of friends. Yeah, that was me. I was that guy. Um, and and I, I showed exactly to everybody how I was feeling. I interacted with people exactly <laughs> what I was going through, what I was feeling. It didn't do very well. But then I graduated and I went to college and the exact opposite happened. Uh, I found myself within the first two weeks of being on campus being widely accepted by everyone, that freshman through seniors. But even at this time, at the, even even having all this acceptance, months going by, years going by, I still had that nagging feeling, that need to be accepted. This wasn't enough. So years go by and I'm thinking, what, what is the deal with that? Why am I still feeling that way, having acceptance? Why am I still chasing it? And, and so I, I felt like there was something missing from me, from my life, from, from my person. But what was really missing was the truth. And so there are some hard truths that I had to come to terms with, that I had to accept and receive, uh, namely that I was doing this to myself. I was making myself feel this way. And the reason for that is because I was actually keeping God's grace from entering. I was keeping it away because I was looking for it in places other than Jesus. But once I came to terms with that truth, and receive that truth. And I was then able to receive the grace of Jesus. And I tell you, the moment that happened, the precise moment I let him in, it was like a dam had broken and millions of tons of gallons of uh, liquid acceptance poured into my soul and into my heart, into this chasm that had been empty for so many years and filled it to overflowing. And I tell you, since that moment, I have never struggled with that need for acceptance like that ever again, because Jesus completely satisfied it. Without grace and without truth, we would have no freedom. We would miss out on the joy and the peace that only comes from Jesus. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. It's the season of peace. It's the season of joy. It's a season of hope. It's a season of love because grace and truth has entered the world. And we see that in John chapter one, starting in verse one. 
that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Now that was John the Baptist he's referring to there. John himself, he himself, that's John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Uh, John here, he refers to Jesus uh, using these terms, word and light. And that's unusual for sure, but these are revelation terms. So Jesus is God revealed to the world, to all of mankind. This is the word of God made flesh, and this is the light of heaven, the light of all mankind. And uh, Jesus is, is the word, right? Every word that Jesus spoke was God's word because it was coming from God. And Jesus is the light. He is the true light, light that gives uh, light everywhere to everyone. It illuminates everything in his presence. So everything that Jesus spoke into and acted into revealed light and gave life. But we see here the world did not recognize him and that is what happens when you're trying to meet a soul's need with something other than Jesus. We fail to recognize God. We fail to see him. We fail to receive him because we're looking for every everything and everywhere else for that thing. Jesus came into his own people. They did not receive him. They did not recognize him even though he had made them. And even though there was always more than enough uh, undeniable evidence that Jesus was the Son of God, God in the flesh. In their humanity, they would rather have denied that truth than to accept him. They would rather reject him than be confronted with what that truth would mean for them. And all too often, we do the same thing. Truth is hard. It's hard. It requires that we admit where we are wrong. And then we're confronted with this difficult choice of having to, to make the necessary changes in our lives and in our ways of thinking to accommodate that truth. Or <laughs> the alternative, we have to continue living and perpetuating what we know are lies. Regardless of which choice we make, though, there's no escaping truth. For where there is light, there cannot also be darkness filling the same space. And light is wisdom. Light is wisdom that reveals ignorance. Light is holiness that reveals evil. Light is awareness that reveals injustice. And light is love that reveals hatred. And nobody is comfortable thinking of themselves as ignorant, evil, uh, unjust, or oppressive, or hating others. 
We're far more comfortable with hiding from that or rejecting it altogether. Most of us would rather deny the things about ourselves that we or others find unpleasant than to actually drill down into them and make the necessary changes. So it's easier to reject the light rather than to let it shine in us and through us. And so Jesus was rejected. But because of the nature of light, the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was refused. He was denied. He was rejected. But he was not overcome. Because for all who have received him, all who have allowed the light of Jesus to illumine the darkness of their hearts, their minds, and their souls, to them, he gave the right to become God's children. And at the time John is writing this gospel, there are thousands of them. Thousands who have experienced the grace and the truth, and it made all the difference. Picking up here in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We, that's those who have believed and are born of God, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Grace and truth. We see those words here phrased this way, and it only appears this way. This phrase only appears in this one passage, but it appears twice. Now, What's interesting about grace and truth is that these are two of the hardest things for human beings to accept and receive, and Jesus is full of both of them. <clears throat> I remember while I was growing up, um, adults, people around me, they, they, they had a very hard time accepting the grace of others. It had to have strings attached. There, there had to be some way to earn it or, or do something to make up for it. Uh, accepting grace was a very hard thing to do. There had to be a way to repay it. Today, it's something very, very different in our culture and society today. Today, it's like people expect it. They expect grace. And when they don't get it, well, there's a new social media post about it, right? Complaining as if they're somehow being abused or oppressed. There seems to be a lot of uh, people around and, and especially, and I bring up social media because we're all on it. It's part of the world we live in, right? There, there seems to be a lot of this though. Uh, folks who don't understand that grace is a gift. It's something unearned that meets another at their point of need. And that Brings up another issue today is that there's this expectation of grace without ever having to acknowledge the need for it. And here's how that looks. I see it a lot. There's a person who has made a poor life decision or a series of poor life decisions and is now afflicted by the circumstances those decisions have put them in. 
But they have such a narrow, shallow, and hollow view of the way that the world works that they complain about it and that there's no justice for them. And then they take their anger and bitterness out on some unsuspecting person who has the ability to help them, but doesn't because they're just expected to without ever being asked for help. And so now these innocent people have no idea that there's even a need. They're perceived as the cause of suffering, and they get called out and slammed for it on the internet. This kind of thinking, it defies all logic, all reason, all accountability, and all civility. They expect, uh, the, the expectation is that someone is going to come along and fix all of their problems for them without taking any responsibility for it themselves. And what that's called is cheap grace. It's cheap grace. Now, I've got this little video clip I want to show here of what happens when somebody receives cheap grace. While I know we all want and need grace, we often don't want to recognize it. We all want the grace of others without the disruptions to life caused by truth. But real grace, true grace, always meets us at the intersection of truth at the point of our need. You see, all those who Jesus ever healed, they never needed someone to convince them of their need for a healer. They knew it. They were already convinced of their need. That's why grace was able to, to, to so easily find them and meet them and be received. It's not until we recognize the need for grace that we desire it. We have to recognize it, and then we desire it. It's not until we stop expecting for it that we ask for it. And it's not until we stop trying to earn it that we can finally receive it. This whole message, very simply put, is this. It's not until truth is believed that grace can be received. It's not until truth is believed that grace can be received. And again, truth is hard because truth is honesty. It's authenticity. It's genuineness. It's reality. It's whole. It's complete. Truth does not waver. It doesn't change. It's not abbreviated. It's not biased or based on emotion. It doesn't shift with culture. Truth is not defined by our perspectives. Truth is not subjective. Truth is absolute. So no wonder the masses are so desperate for grace and yet so unable to receive it. Because the truth is too hard to believe. It's a tough pill to swallow. And that's why only those who are convinced of their, uh, of their sin, who are convinced of their need for a Savior, just as it's only those who are convinced of their pain who are in need of a healer. Since grace is getting what you do not deserve, it is, it's being given something that you have not earned. It's being granted something that you are not worthy of. It is undeserved, unearned, and unwarranted favor. And that can be hard to receive when we don't believe the truth of how desperately we need it. And sometimes we still have a hard time receiving it, even though when we do believe how badly we need it. That's because grace requires that we believe that someone has something we need, that we are not sufficient of ourselves to provide. 
years ago, there was a Saturday Night Live skit with uh, Rob Schneider and Jeff Goldblum. And Rob Schneider is uh, down in a New York City subway and he's tuning his guitar with the guitar case in front of him open with loose change thrown in. Jeff Goldblum comes along just as he's tuning and throws in some change and Rob starts yelling at him. He says, what are you doing, man? He says, well, I just threw change in. You had, you had your case open, change in there. He says, that's where I keep my change. He says, I don't need your money. I do this for, I'm an artist. I do this for the art. I don't do it for money. So Jeff bends down, picks up the money, and he's just standing there. And then Rob Schneider begins to sing. And he sings, please give me money. I am very hungry. Please give me money so I can eat. I don't have another job. This is all I'm doing. Please give me money or I will starve. And once again, Jeff Goldblum takes the money, throws it into the case, and Rob yells at him again. And this happens one or two more times. And it's just as funny every single time he does this. And 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 uh, I I think you know with with Saturday Night Live a lot a lot of what they did is satire so there's some truth to everything that they did at least they did I don't know I haven't seen it a long time but uh, it, it, there's some truth to it and I think if we're all honest we can all relate to Rob Schneider's character there right uh, I think we can all relate to it because we we all need great grace but we're often too proud to receive it to accept it to receive it. Pride keeps us from receiving grace. It's like the hands of our hearts are pushed outward, rejecting it. I can take care of this myself instead of in this position where you're ready and willing to receive it. And the reason why we're often in that posture where we don't want it, where our pride is in the way, is because of our belief that we can do it all on our own. And you know, maybe we can. Maybe we can do it all on our own, but let me tell you from my own personal lived experience, when you try to do it on your own, find the grace that you need sufficient to fill your heart and soul's needs out there in the world, it's going to lack. You're going to need more every single time. But when Jesus offers it, when you receive it from Jesus, it's taken care of. You never need to look for more. It's a constant flowing in of his acceptance, his significance, his security, his love for you. And it doesn't end. And that's because Jesus being perfect, he perfectly satisfies because he restores what was lost back to heaven's glory. He redeems what was taken by our sin. He repairs our brokenness and, rest and renews our joy, renews our peace, renews our sense of security. There's nothing in this world that can fit fix what's broken or missing inside of us. There's no religion or religious activity that can do that. It's only Jesus. Only he can do that. And we actually see that in our text. The Old Testament law. It was a grace given, but grace and truth came through Jesus. The Old Testament law was a picture. It was a picture of what justice, mercy, and grace look like and how they're found in the kingdom of heaven. It was a picture of that. It revealed God's holiness and his glory to the world and revealed to a select people, a select people, how to worship God. 
The law gave God's chosen people a way to relate to him, how to relate to each other, and how to relate to others in the world. So there was a grace given, but it wasn't complete. It wasn't whole. It wasn't for everyone, but it pointed to what was complete, the coming Messiah, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. There was a grace given through the law, but the grace and the truth came through Jesus. He was something better that replaced the law. Instead of a picture of the way things were supposed to be, that was the law, a picture of the way things were supposed to be, the way that they were in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven with him. And with that, he restored and renewed the broken things of earth. And we see that throughout the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, he turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana. This is something he didn't have to do. It was before his earthly ministry had begun. He was doing something for the benefit of people at a wedding that they didn't deserve this, and he did it for them. In John chapter 4, he has a life-changing conversation with a Samaritan woman that he should never have had. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. But Jesus is having this conversation that changes her life, and not only her life, but there are many who believed in him from Samaria as he passed through and had that conversation. Later in John chapter 4, he healed a royal official's son. Again, this is a man who had absolutely no right or claim to the promises and blessings of God, and yet Jesus healed his son based on his faith. This was a man who was part of the, the system oppressing the Jews, and Jesus healed the man's son. In John chapter 5, he healed an invalid on the Sabbath day. Again, something that, that he was uh, kind of raked over the coals by the Jewish religious leaders for healing on the Sabbath day. And, and yet Jesus, full of grace and truth, revealing what the kingdom of heaven, bringing the kingdom of heaven with him, revealing the truths of the kingdom of heaven, offered grace and showed grace on the Sabbath day. In John 6, he feeds 5,000. In John 9, he heals a man who was born blind. John 8, he raises Lazarus from the dead. In John 18 and 19, he died the death that he died and rose again to save you and me from the penalty of our sin and to free us from the same sin. And then in John 15, through today, he gives us the promised Holy Spirit, who is also full of grace and truth to indwell those who believe in Jesus. So we carry on the rest of our lives filled with grace and truth. See, here's Jesus knows every fiber of your being. He knows every thought, every selfish thought, and every noble thought. He knows everything that you are, everything that you do, everything that you have ever done. Because he is full of truth. And he still loves you. Holy, completely, and entirely. Just as you are at this moment. He looks on you with favor and with care. He desperately wants you to know him better. And to receive from him everything your heart and soul need. Because he is full of grace. And all we have to do is receive it. So I wonder if you have experienced God's grace, we have a responsibility to steward that well. As you have been given grace, extend it to the same measure that you have received it to others. I wonder if maybe you're struggling 
in this area. Maybe you're struggling to receive grace. Maybe there's a, a truth missing that, that you haven't accepted or received yet. Or maybe you're struggling with, with just receiving the grace itself, trying to do it on your own and feeling less and less full, more and more empty, tires spinning and nothing moving. Maybe that's your your experience right now. Maybe you're, you're not completely willing and ready to accept truth or grace, one or the other. If that's you, I just want to pray for you right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, that he is grace and truth. That everywhere that he goes, grace and truth follow. Father, I pray for anyone listening right now that uh, you would have your spirit move on them to have their hands maybe it's in a position blocking your grace from from being able to be received would you please give them the grace and the mercy to turn their hands outward to receive your grace and experience the overflow of the thing that they're missing that they're chasing on their own trying to find in something other than jesus that they would be whole that they would be filled that their joy, their hope, their peace would be restored and renewed. I pray for those of us who have received that grace and are living fully in it. Would you please help us to steward it well, to give it as freely to others as you've given to us. And would we always be busy about the work of sharing you and Jesus with others? Thank you again for the gift of your son, what it means for us that we get to celebrate this season because of who he is and what he's done. Bless us as we leave from this place. Keep our eyes fixed on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wherever you're going this week, whatever you're doing this week, keep your hands in a posture to receive grace and offer it to others as well. God bless you and have a wonderful week of worship.